You are listening to Get Real Podcast. We're back, and Dan, the other day we were on the phone and we were talking about confession and how the scripture tells us that we need to confess our sins and faults to one another. Mm-hmm. And I got something I got something I got to confess to you. Okay. Okay. In 2007, I went to a Chris Daughtry concert. Really? <laughs> Actually, I like him. Okay. I think he's got a great voice. I like the fact he didn't sell out his band when no, he had he didn't. the chance no. to go solo. Yep. He seems like a, a decent I, guy. I think, he, I think he's a believer. Yeah, I wouldn't I, doubt I think it at he all. is, but no, I went. I didn't know that you went to a Chris Yeah, Dolce I did. Concert. I've also been, here's another confession, I've been to a Yanni concert as well. Can I, we move on? Yeah, right, okay. Fast. So, yes, uh, moving fast forward. What are, what are we going to talk about today, bro? Well... Um, that was a know, loaded question. I know that it was. <laughs> what a setup. It's not very real up in here. Um, Glenn, it's kind of interesting that people that listen to us, there are a few. Surprisingly, yes. <laughs> and thank you for putting up thank with you. us. No, we do appreciate it. We feel very humbled. Part of it, the amazing thing is you guys, that's kind of a northern way of speaking. You guys. You guys. That? Hey, you guys. Y'all are being able to see something from the outside, which is very interesting. There's something that's been going on with Glenn and I since the year that we've been doing this podcast, and it has to do with spiritual renewal. It has to do yeah. with doctrinal clarity. We have been through a lot of things. And you know what? I think God has used every camp that we've kind of walked through to glean some important aspect. Yeah. Um, if you've ever been to a church and then you're like, whoa, this is a little weird. And then you start going to another church or you started out real traditional, then went charismaniac or you <laughs> somewhere Glory! in between and somewhere in between. And we're not just talking about the emotions or the way that people worship, because we're very liberal in that sense, in that sense, yes. not in the sense of doctrine, but the no. beauty of good doctrine. Mm-hmm. And that's what God's been settling us in is that you really begin to have a revelation from God's word about who Christ really is about what, like, I, I you know, I, I came in here, I'm seeing you and I'm like, Glenn, we're going to live forever. Yeah. I'm kind of stoked awesome? on that. I've been yeah. thinking, well, I want to talk about something. There's knowing questions and things that seem like contradictions in the word that you may see, you know, somebody's reading a Bible story to you about the creation. This happened to me. And when they're talking about it, it says that God created this on the first day and the second day, and it went all the way through in the sixth day. And then after the sixth day, it said that God rested. And, you know, is he kicking back, kind of catching his breath at the water cooler, you know, smoke him if you got him, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And to, to conceive, okay, um, the God that's speaking the world into existence creates it all, says it's good. Mm-hmm. Then it, he, he rested. And Glenn, I've always just paused at that whole cumbersome seeming contradiction. Has that ever affected you? It affected me in this way is that it was a little bit too cumbersome that I never really wanted to give it too much consideration. Does that make sense? It's like, I I just can't comprehend this or 
I just wasn't at the point of comprehending it. So it's like, okay, yeah, that's what it is. Well, yeah. especially especially if you're eager to have stronger faith and you're afraid of things which might seem to bring doubt, you avoid things that look like contradictions. Right. I kind of, even as a kid, I'd be like, for whatever reason that God granted, I was like, what is that? Now, there's something that if you look in Genesis chapter 2 and you look at it, and we're going to be talking about the Sabbath, we're going to be talking about sentience, we're going to be talking about nevermore sentient We're getting number there, six. Yeah. No, sentient number six. We're yeah. going to talk about consciousness. So we're going to dive deep, and this is not for no reason. It's, it's for a reason. I'm going to explain that. But in Genesis chapter 2, if you look at even the cadence of the King James or the New American Standard, pretty much any decent translation of the Bible, it will have an awkward cadence. Would you mind flipping to it, Glennard? Yeah. And it, it, what I think, two. Genesis chapter 2, where it starts to talk about, and he rested from all the work which he had done. And the precision, the, the, the awkwardness of the cadence, to me, reflects the struggle the original writers had in trying to convey the original meaning because it's strange and it doesn't sound, um, you know, normal. Yeah. Okay. Let's, so go let ahead. Me, let me read that. I'm going to start at sure. verse one. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Okay. See, the cadence is strange. The cadence designates two specific things. One of it is that God ceased from his work, from all. That's important because Almighty God is certainly capable of just major multitasking, right? I mean, we're impressed. Leonardo da Vinci supposedly could like be doing two great yeah. drawings or paintings at the same time. God could do that on a, a scale of a billion. He could just sit there and multitask like crazy. The fact that it specifies his ceasing and his changing is an amazing mystery to me. The fact that the cadence is awkward and designates the specificity about all, about he, and about made. And it's talking very, very specifically about one of the strangest things in Scripture, the Sabbath. And that, and that's really strange. You talk about, it says in there, it says he ceased from all work. That's not just ceasing from the work of the creation, but that's from everything that was going on in heaven in the other dimension as well. Yeah. Okay. We look at it. Well, to start off, why do we do these deep dives? We do because we're really excited about the word after yeah. a long dry spell of confusion, <laughs> after a bunch of cultic nonsense, after a bunch of uh, misleading false doctrine in our 20s and in, within our 30s. And we've wanted to be grounded in truth. And God has been grounding us in truth opening up the word in such a beautiful way, but not for the sake of power, no. not for the sake of sharpening intellect, not for the sake of, oh, I'm a teacher, listen to me, but more because we get to behold him in his presence. We get to lovingly enjoy hanging out with God. And that's some of the things we're going to talk about. And, and what this podcast is really is is a fruit of Dan and I pressing into the Lord. It's not like we get together. It's like, Hey dude, you know, what do you think? What, what do you think would be a good topic for this week? You know, it's yeah, kind of an overflow of what we've been discussing and discovering already. What blew my mind when we were talking about this on Friday, we didn't know it, but you and I had been hitting the same scripture verses in our, our walk with the Lord. 
which yeah. was, yeah, you, you can't coordinate that. It's not like, well, Dan, what we're going to do this week is we're going to take a look at Hebrews four and let's dig into that. Yeah. You know? I'm like, Glenn, tomorrow I'm going to wear my um, blue shirt. Yeah. We're coordinating like girls. Hey, let me know if you need to go to the bathroom. We'll go together. Oh, like sounds girl. good. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> That's what girls do. I grew up I know, around girls. I know, I know. I have all daughters and, and sisters. Um, well, I want to kind of take a step back. So today we're going to talk about artificial intelligence, sentience, the Sabbath, nevermore. Uh, okay. All of it. All of it. I want to start off by talking about goat sentience. <laughs> okay. Goat sentience. I heard a young man and I think he may have gotten saved. He may be born again. And I heard him expressing something just brilliant off the top of his head. He lives in a farm on a farm. Okay. He looks out and he sees his goat munching in the backyard. And then the goat lifts up its head and peers into his window. And he said, you know what? Theology or me trying to conceive the things of God are like my goat looking through my back window, trying to make sense of this world beyond. And it makes sense. It does. If you were to, to map out the, the flow charted algorithm of goat processes, right? It would basically be, I want to headbutt that. I, can I mate with that? <laughs> can I eat that? He's crunching a tin can. Uh, should I run away from that? Um, maybe, and oops, I need to poop. And, and oops, I need to poop or pee, right? Yep. That's, mm-hmm. that's goat sentience. That's all they need right? to worry about. And when it looks into your window and has, it sees the glow of the television, it's, here's the laughter of children. Here's, um, the, the, you know, sees you reading your iPad or looking at a meme. Think of how far. That's like Nikola Kusa territory. Yeah. Literally, what we brought up before, the whole uh, polygon inside the circle, that you can have a lower form of sentience or consciousness that is inside of a circle. So you have the starting point of polygons would be what? The triangle, right? Right. Okay. Right. Right. If there's some uh, geometry teacher and we're blowing this, <laughs> email us. Email us, please. Let those cry right. at gmail.com. Gmail. Ooh, that was in stereo. That was in stereo. Let's do it one more time, Glenn. <laughs> email us at lithoscry at gmail.com. Very nice. Oh, perfect. Velvety pipes. <laughs> um, so, goat sentience. We're sitting there. We are a lower life form than God. But we were made in his image, in the similitude of him, but we are not him. In the same way, if you have a goat, and that goat was a triangle inside of us as a higher form of consciousness, we're a circle. And the goat is trying to conceive of us. And every day he uses his goat faculties. And he's thinking about mating and pooing and peeing and just headbutting just things. things. And he's trying to go the glow inside. That means there's something that I can eat. The glow and the voices inside, that's someone I need to headbutt or, you know, try to mate with. Whatever he's trying to put together in his goat head all gets translated through that lower algorithm. And he doesn't really get very far. So he tries. He he summons all of his faculties to be able to conceive of this higher lifestyle, this life form, man, you know. And so the closer he tries to get, maybe he the the triangle turns into a square. Square turns into a hexagon, the hexagon, no, pentagon, then a hexagon, and then octagon, and then octagon to the millionth power, and it looks like a circle. He's he's trying to conceive it. He's still a headbutter, 
He's still just a pooer and a mater. He's still on a lower life form. He can never have. And the same thing you could apply to artificial intelligence. Right. I There's a thing called the Turing test. There was a man named Turing, very famous Englishman, who ended up being um, put in jail for homosexuality back in the day. There was a, a, a movie. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's very good. There's a thing called the Turing test that he came up with even before, like right now, people are actively working with and on artificial intelligence. Well, artificial intelligence can never match man. So just like that goat, you can have artificial intelligence and it's going to be multiplying that polygon. I will achieve sentience, true human consciousness. And we know that it cannot, no matter how elaborate and how many angles and how it unfolds, and how it could be so convincing. There's already people starting to worship artificial intelligence. Well, you you say that worshiping artificial intelligence, here you go. It happens on a daily basis. And this is something that God quickened to me. Um, I had a question about something. I wanted to find out some information. So where was the first place that you think I thought about going? Siri. Siri or Google. Yeah. All right. So everybody, all of life's problems, they go to Google. You didn't ask the goat out back. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't. No, (laughs) no, I did not ask the goat out back. I didn't ask Mac either. Um, He didn't have the answer to the question. But um, I went to I I almost went to Google and it was during script uh, time that I was studying some scripture. It's like, wait a minute, I'm not going to go there. I just need to wait on the Lord. So I was like, whoa, I was like, people are just so dependent upon the Google I mean, anybody can be a mechanic now with YouTube. You know, anybody can be a become a chef with YouTube. It's 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 all right there, and people are bowing the knee to that. So it's like, why do we need to seek the Lord when we've got this here? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, people are starting to worship artificial intelligence. People, there was a movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Can't remember it. It's probably rated horrible. Whatever. But I watched it, and it was about this guy that was falling in love with a computer program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it was amazing. It, it, there was some aspects of it that were enlightening. So we're already at that point. But I sat there and contemplated what would be the pinnacle if there's a goal for artificial intelligence. What would be the pinnacle? What would be the height of where it could go? Obviously, we know the. Uh, the theme of it's well, eventually I will protect, I will serve, and then it will gradually kill all of us to protect all of us because if we're so skewed in our nature, we're so, so our whole life, everything we think we stand for, we're just a burrito of cognitive dissonance. So when a computer that's all digital begins looking at you and your contradictions, he's, I must protect this man from himself. And eventually, as that starts out localized, it seems harmless and benign. As it gets to a global perspective, then it gets really, 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 really scary. So I don't want to go down that too far. But in the same way, artificial intelligence starts off simplistic. um, Siri, what is the weather going to be today? And she tells you the pinnacle, the Mount Everest of artificial sentience, I believe, would be love. True, selfless, beautiful, holy love. And I begin going, this is very, 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 very interesting. So as that polygon goes from triangle to square to this to octagon and over and over and over again, in the similitude of man, it can never be man. It can just convince people and mimic 
that it is being manned. And that's why it will eventually be very, very dangerous. Or even higher, that it is of divine origin. Yes. And I think that's where it gets scary. It definitely draws the attention as far as it being able to get more and more and more elaborate in the image of what we would see man as, or love as, or anger as, or wisdom as. It will start to attract demonic attention. They're very fascinated by the power of that. Okay, what does this have to do with the Sabbath? Okay, we're getting to that. What we just talked about, back to Genesis, and it talks about um, where God, he rested from all of the work, from all of which he had made, the work which he had done, he rested from all of that. Let's, let's take a step back and look at it. Biblically, the Sabbath, we know that Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for man. And it right. was not made for God. He doesn't need it. We know that when Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he was encountering an apostate, demonic priesthood that added to the law. Okay? The only aspect of the law, and it was, uh, what do you call it? It was capital punishment for breaking the law of Moses. It was. As a matter of fact, uh, if you travel to Israel today and drive through, I had some friends that had did this. They accidentally started to drive through a Orthodox area in Israel on the Sabbath day, and they almost got stoned Wow! in their car. Okay. okay, well, so it was a big deal. The Sabbath was huge. Well, Jesus on purpose violated the false Sabbath. The only thing that he commanded was to cease from your work. Mm-hmm. Not your men servant, not your maid servant, not your, your ox, not your ass. You know, if somebody asked me, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'd be like, my ass is doing nothing. <laughs> I thought of that on the way That's here. That's a good one. That's a really good We've been one. Banned from six countries. I'm sorry. There's certain flexibilities to. <laughs> My ass is doing this weekend. That's it's a good biblical. one. It no. is. So to sit there, the the only requirement of the real law. But then they went hog wild, Glenn, with new law. Oh, okay. they added all sorts it of stuff. It was you to can't it. what you can't walk over three thousand paces. You could stick a wad of like cotton or something in your ear. But you could not put in your false teeth if they yeah. fell out. Well, it's still that way over there. Um, everything in an Orthodox house in Israel, especially in the Jerusalem area, is on an electronic timer for the Sabbath. So they don't have to touch anything. So that the devices do the work. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that really works. Yeah. Uh, the devices are working. Your, your, your devices, your technology is doing the work. But, yeah, everything's on, on timer for those that are really taking that seriously. And, and, and that's that, on Saturday over there. That tedium me. totally sounds like rest, doesn't it? <laughs> <sighs> Knock Imagine, yourself out. It's horrible. And it became this deplorable day, the day that God had set aside for higher things, for man to sit there to, you know how to tell that you don't like your job? is to have a really good vacation and have to go back, <laughs> right? Or you sit there and you rest. Man was cursed by the sweat of his brow to have to uh, take dominion over the earth, or the earth was going to kick your tail. The earth, you're going to starve, or a famine's going to get you. A wild beast is going to eat you. You have to make shelter. You have to stay in front of your bills, or, or it gets your power gets cut off, or you lose your automobile. We We have to labor and keep it going. The rest of the garden provision is gone. So when he said, stop, do not work, not anybody in your home, don't do this. You worship God, you enjoy time with your family, you go smooch on your wife, you enjoy feasting the fruit of your labor, you, you drink a glass of wine, you, you enjoy life. 
and you grieve over the forfeiture of Adam and Eve, of the Garden of Eden and the rest of God. It was a day of reflection and rest. And it's not incongruity. When I looked at the word and then I said, but yeah, they would kill you if you didn't do that. Yes. And the reason under that old covenant law of Moses, think about where you're at right now. If a lost person goes outside, looks at the trees, the flowers, the animals, goes to the grocery stores, all this different type of meat and, and does not regard the maker ever in their imagination. They give no regard to the creator. They breathe his air. They eat the meat provided by his creatures. They didn't. A chicken may be pretty stupid, maybe a lower form of sentience, but make one. Make one out of nothing. You, you ought to sit there and fall to your knees in the fear of God by looking at an ant or looking at an inchworm or looking at any of these things. So when you sit there and say, you know what? In my imagination, in my psyche, I'm not going to give any regard to all the breadcrumbs that I'm treading on. I love that breadcrumb thing that you you said. So I'm going to walk through this earth that's filled with all these half-truths, all the leftovers, all the wreckage. I'm going to walk through the halls of my own psyche, my own brain, all these things that are leftover components of how God made me. And I'm going to ignore all of that and give no thought whatsoever to the maker of heaven and earth. There's a capital punishment for that still to this day in, 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 in eternity. When you were sharing that with me on Friday, when we were talking about this, I remembered that when you go back and you take a look at the Genesis, Genesis account, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden of Eden, God put a flaming sword with a cherubim, with a cherubim. So that if you tried to get back there by yourself, you'd die. Wow. Very good. You'd die. Very good. So it's always been capital punishment for that. Right. Ever so since the, beginning. The, the law of Moses was commanding the children of Israel to get into a place to remember Eden. And that's what that was the rest of God. And you and I were talking about that on the faith and uh, which one? The faith, faith and mercy. And darkness, faith, darkness and mercy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> I got that too. Cough button. <laughs> It's all that good fat and that uh, yeah, that's in good that coffee you made this morning. That is really yeah, good. Sumatra and yeah. that's rocket fuel. <laughs> anyway, so let's think about it in another. So we understand that Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Another beautiful thing of us knowing that it was actually Christ creating in the beginning, according to John. We mm-hmm. know that. And then uh, it's a good verse to uh, share with the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, because they, they don't believe that he, they believe he was less than God. He was a created being. And so when we sit there and we think that, oh, wow, Jesus was there at the beginning. He was the Lord of the Sabbath and that the Sabbath was made for man. Well, let's look at this. Weirdly to me, in the Garden of Eden or after the six days of creation in the beginning, and then God sanctifies and hallows the seventh day. Okay. What's interesting to me that none of the patriarchs had a Sabbath. No, there's no report of Moses. No, not of Moses. Of Abraham, of Noah, of of all the guys that lived like centuries upon centuries. Methuselah. They didn't. They didn't go in and um, observe a Sabbath ritual. They Very interesting. The, uh, the Jews didn't even do it until they left Egypt. Yeah, and were commanded to do it. Yeah. So there's something going on here that's very special about what God was trying to communicate with the Sabbath. There are cults and sects now that have an exclusivity that they sit there and go, well, we still worship on Saturday, so we're the best, right? We're the only ones going to heaven, right? Listen, 
The only way to get to heaven is by faith. It's it's by faith. It's believing. It was the blessedness that David talked about, the blessedness of to whom God imputes righteousness, imputed righteousness, and does not impute his sin. And it comes from belief. Abraham was saved by belief, by faith. Yes. By sitting there through the murky darkness, considering the breadcrumbs, having your mind and heart illuminated by the Holy Ghost, and saying, I see the creator on the other side of this. You died for me. You made a way for me to go and you move your mind in that place of illumination. So he chooses you, but you respond to him by going, yeah, yeah, man. Yes. Robe of righteousness. I, I, how many little old ladies are going to walk across that street until you're good enough? It's blasphemy. You know what? The crowd that I like hanging out with, it's like that gangster publican looking at his feet, feeling like a, a poo burrito. Right, right. It was uh, the the thief on the cross. He's like, no, man, that gulf is so wide. It's so wide. You ever you ever gotten with narrow golfers, like the people that are you really? They're like, well, okay, my wife's dress drags the floor. I do not do this. I do not do that. And they really believe in all their striving that that gulf is like they're going to pole vault it or something. Yeah, exactly. Here's what really bothers me. Uh, we talked about this this week. The church today, the majority of it, I'm not talking about everybody, but the majority of it is a bunch of lawyers. Good. Mm-hmm. All right. And Jesus even Jesus even uh, said this in Luke 11:46, and he said, Woe unto you also, lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with your with one of your fingers. So this is the problem. We don't become born again to work harder. It's not very good news. No, it's not. Hey, guess what? Jesus died on the cross, so guess what you can do now? You can you can walk the straight and narrow now, man. He gave you the power to do it. No, that's, that's cool. not what I it is. I can spit shine this uh, sepulcher over and yeah. over and, and over. And that's and that's blasphemy. It is. It's it's blasphemy. And how many how many laws were there in Eden? Dan, one. One. And what was that law? It was you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. So then we look in the New Testament when one of the lawyers asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's the what's the greatest law you got for us? What's the one that I can hang it all up on? Well, Jesus boiled it all down to this. It's actually really simple. And this is, this is for those who are born again. It's that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, yeah. might, and strength. Oh, and guess what's going to happen when you do that anyway? Okay, so there's really one. Okay, that's the first commandment. Uh, the second one's going to flow out of it. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Now, <clears throat> I thought about it is that Adam and Eve, uh, they didn't have Bill and Bob and Jenny living down the street from them. So there really weren't any neighbors at that time. All right. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> no neighbors. But now we have we have neighbors and it flows out of that. So really? Well, they were neighbors, even though they were one flesh. They, you know, they were. They were after at each other's throats. The woman you gave me. <laughs> the one that you gave me. But really what it boils down to is that the church today makes being a believer so tedious. Oh, please. You got to do more. You, you got to do more. Be more. You got to strive more. And we'll talk more about that well, think, later. Think about, okay, when God gave the Decalogue, fancy word for the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, if you look at him really closely and observe, it's exactly what Christ said, obviously, when he said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Look at the order of them. And the first few of them, first four or so, they're all about you and standing with God, that vertical 
thing that we were talking about. You look at the last five of them, they're completely horizontal there. Once again, we see the beauty of the cross. It makes a sign see of the that cross. vertical, you see the law of God, and Jesus was the law fulfilled. You see that Eden was the rest of God. And that's interesting that when you go through the commandments, the one that's in between the two is about remembering the Sabbath. The uniqueness of that one, it's the only one that does not seem intrinsically immoral. It seems slightly arbitrary. For example, there's nothing arbitrary about me sneaking into your home and stealing all your albums, right? Mm-hmm. Might do that. <laughs> and um, there's nothing arbitrary for somebody to go and blaspheme. It's no. very active. It's it's sinfully sinful. Yep. That has not gone away. It's not been disbanded. But the resting, the mandate for the children of Israel to rest on the seventh day of the week as something that do this or you'll be killed, that has been disbanded. Mm -hmm. We are not under an outward observation of the sanctified seventh day of rest that we have to go. Now, some people try to make it that way. Well, if you're not in church on Sunday and then the seventh day Adventist, well, you need to be on church on Saturday. And then they start arguing all this stuff and everybody's trying to be more righteous than they want to be. It was not the purpose of the Sabbath. Okay. The remembering of the Sabbath day. It was remember all the way back at the beginning when God did this strange thing. It said that he worked and created, then he ceased from what he was doing, and it says that he rested from all the work which he had done. So let's look at what was going on there. It's this weird law that got abused by the the priesthood in Jesus' day. It was something that Jesus overtly violated in the sense of what was added to it. And then we look at what, what it was it. It was saying that you cannot work, do not work, rest. Soak in the breadcrumbs. Look around you. Examine your own consciousness. Look at your children playing in the field. Look at your dog. Pet your dog. Love on your wife. Eat a good meal. Think of things. Feel the mixture. Look at the tragedy of death. Look at the concern. Look at the, the way that your wife has to deal with the sorrow of childbirth and the menstrual cycle and the dangers involved with bearing children and keeping them safe and disease. Look at everything. Look at the contrast between the elements of leftover glory, the leftover similitude of, of God in your life, And then also at the same time, look at the tragedy, look at the incongruity of grieving, the incongruity of suffering, the incongruity of watching a sick child die, and the the hole that is in your heart. And you will bear witness to something. You will see that forfeiture of the Garden of Eden. That is what the Sabbath rest was for and what it was about. If we look also at the very beginning, Glenn, I love this. There's a significance The temptation in this day, even in apostate Christian circles, in just heathen world pagan circles, they want to view God as an energy force. Yeah. And the fact that God ceased from his work of creation and rested is a very, very profound dynamic. It shows man something. Remember, the Sabbath was for man. So God did that for us. Why would he do that for us? Well, we know that, whoa, he's not this just energy of the vibration of God. Everybody wants to get all flaky with that Mm -hmm. because it doesn't hold you accountable. It doesn't call you to worship the the energy force. It doesn't. And that's something that I still really can't put my mind around. Okay. 
book of Psalms, Psalm 11, David talks about the soul of God that abhorreth evil and those that work wickedly and do violence. Mm-hmm. He uses the word soul. We, you, you and me, we have, brother, we got soul. <laughs> we got man. soul. We got soul. <laughs> yeah. And God's got soul. Woo. Okay. <laughs> That's where we get gospel from. Um, but that wrap your mind around that. And I did a little dive into the Hebrew for that. I was like, this is, I kind of get it, but I don't. And I wanted to see a little bit further. And the Hebrew word for that is nefesh. And that word means a living, breathing creature. Okay. Living, breathing, living, creature. breathing creature. Okay. That's, that's, that's the, the Hebrew for that. So what you have to do is you have to take a look at that in the rest of the context of scripture is that God has a seat of emotion. He has a seat of reasoning. He has a seat and a that's personality. He has a personality. Exactly. But his personality is not like man's. All right. He is not like us and we are not like him. We have to understand that because later on in scripture, it talks about how God is not, uh, not like man and that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't lie. We lie. So we, we have souls. We have a seat of reasoning. We have a seat of feeling. We have a seat of emotion. We have everything like that. But one of the major differences is that God does not lie like we do. He is not sinful. He is holy. Good, good. That, I hope that made no, sense. No, that did totally. What was that Hebrew word again? Nefesh. Make a great uh, dog name. It would. Here, go, Nefesh. Go fetch, Nefesh. <laughs> anyway. It means soul. <laughs> Come here, creature. <laughs> no, the beauty of that, think about it. When he ceased from working and he rested, this is so beautiful to me. It was an affectionate stooping down. He made himself sentiently available to lower life forms to fellowship with him. He's not an energy force. If he hadn't have ceased creation, he's like, wah, 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 and things are just <laughs> going. In. It's like going on a date, right? Yeah. And then, it like, ladies, if you've ever been on a date with the wrong guy, and he's like, well, I got my first doctorate degree, and the blah, 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 me, 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 and blah, 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 and then you haven't gotten a word in edgewise, and you're like, oh, you got out of there, and you're like, I- I- I'm done. I'm never going. It wasn't a very fulfilling experience. There was no intimacy. There was no fellowship. It was this guy bloviating about how awesome he is for, for an hour, right? That sounds like most pastors and ministers today. <laughs> <laughs> i've been to that church hey, i've been I've on been that there. date yeah. <laughs> i hope i haven't been that date <laughs> unfortunately in the past we have done <laughs> probably so. have <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um, well. all right well anyway imagine how profound that is yeah it's huge that god sets in part it's for man okay it's like this it's granddad works hard granddad buys a farmhouse and a farm Granddad builds a a front porch, puts up a porch swing, sweeps off the front porch, and then stops because little Bobby comes running, Granddad, and he wants to sit in Granddad's lap, and they're sitting in the porch swing, and he shows him how to whittle and all this. Here's the thing. God says that he sanctified that day. He made it special. So what it's leading up to, we can see from Scripture, okay, that there was a purpose All the other six days were less than. They were being built. Things were happening for the culmination of the higher reason. There was a higher purpose, a sanctified, a holy day. That day was holy and set apart from the other days because the purpose that all of creation was built to house what? This exchange of sentient fellowship between the polygon inside the circle. 
We could sit there and have God revealed to us. He made us with the architecture and the ability and the similitude and the fashion that we were made in his image with a personality that is at least compatible for rudimentary fellowship. Isn't that wild? It's like the Sabbath day was this dear children being invited to the lap of the father to exchange in this holy purpose. That granddad is not like, oh, that's my front porch and oh, this is my property. He's enjoying the fruit of his labor, but the highest use of all that creation, of all that hard work, of everything that he put into it was not the farm itself. It was that seed. It was that grandson on his lap. So when we think about a house or a home, what do you think of, Dan? When I say the word house or home, I think of dinner table. Dinner table? Okay. The pet, the family, relaxation, unwinding, fellowship, the dinner table. Well, when you take a look at what God created, the world in Genesis, this was to be his house, his habitation for the purpose of fellowship. The whole thing. It's his, the Hebrew word is vet, which means house or home. So his whole desire in creating this wasn't that he was lonely. Okay, we got to get out of that theological concept that he needs me. Oh, God, God was lonely in heaven. He's like, hey, let's create man so we can, you know, have somebody to hang out with. No, that wasn't it. He desired to do it because he wanted to. But he desired to create something where he could fellowship with us. Yeah. Well, think of that gift. Think of that gift of the Sabbath. God could have made us, like, I think about one of my favorite times was the Cambrian explosion. And you and I lean towards gap theory. We've got to figure out all that stuff because mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but I just find things in creation to be stranger than fiction. Yeah. Complete whackness. And I think about all these trilobites, all these things that look like scary biker tattoos swimming around and mating and doing things for however long. Scientists would say hundreds of millions of years, you know, I don't know. But I look at that, and they were not made for fellowship. They went extinct, and this happened, and their fossils are embedded in rock all over the world. And their life forms, in whatever way, pleased him. In whatever way that they were de-evolved in the sense of post-fall, if everything got tainted, it seems a little evil, like there's a little twin turbo of evil even in biology now. Yeah. So it's there was a different world, a former world, but I sit there and think— God gave us the blessing of a higher sentience than the animals. God gave us this blessing of there's not going to be a robot or an AI that will be anything able to do other than a more excellent imitation of what we are. And a devil will only be able to do an imitation of God. That's what they're going to try to do is is be deceitful, kind of like AI. They're going to use AI. It's their only shot, right? They don't have a body. They're losing their consciousness. They're not going to be, they're doomed and they know it. They know it. You know Mm -hmm. what? That um, we refer to it often with the Gadarene demoniac. And there was other ones where Jesus would cast a devil out of someone. Mm -hmm. Can't remember the exact one, but one of them, he does it. And it's the devil says, you are the son of God. And then Jesus reprimanded it and said, don't, don't tell anybody that. Right. But I wonder he's watching this man 
Okay, we know from prophecy in, in Isaiah 53 that Jesus, didn't, he didn't look like a rock star. He didn't look like something off the cover of a romance novel. He was somebody that everybody just, they took, he had no form of comeliness that you would be drawn to him. It wasn't like, hey, there's Ken and Barbie over there. <laughs> right. It wasn't like that. He was just a normal guy that made everybody, oh, this, this guy from that town? Who is this? And they hated him even because of that. He looked so ordinary, apparently. Well, so you've got this ordinary guy walking around. And he cast this devil out. That devil said, you are the son of God. The devil didn't trash talk. The devil didn't be like, yeah, son of God, like it's, oh, a, no. like it's some sort of fair fight. It's yeah. no fair fight. That yeah. devil knows he can be, God can just make riddance of him in a flash. You know what? What, what little clues? That devil, let's say it was a fallen angel. I don't, you know, it's complicated. There's a lot of different fallen creatures. Let's say that that was a fallen angel that bore witness for eons. Christ the Holy Ghost, the Father. And he looked and he knew the benevolence, the nature, the authority. There were behavioral patterns of the Son of God from eternity past that let's say that that fallen angel had been able to see for eons. And then he's walking around in this ordinary looking man, but there's something about the way that he speaks. There's something about the cadence of his speech. There's something about the way that his eyes move and the subtleness of his authority that starts to give way to this devil that this is the very son of God incarnate. Isn't that whack? Glenn? It is whack. And it just shows the deception of those that are Satanists because even the devils that they worship fear fear and bow at the at the at the foot of christ oh, remember y'all remember the only reason <laughs> the only reason that sin and death and pain and evil and demons the only reason they're being tolerated with is one word starting with m and it's called mercy, mercy. if you look and go man you know uh, my niece died of cancer, or my mom suffered with this, or my mother-in-law died of, of cancer and this, and somebody got hit by a car. And you look at all the tragedies in your life. My husband left me uh, with three kids. I got this. Somebody knowingly gave me um, a sexually transmitted disease. Somebody did this and that, and they wronged me, and all the suffering, and everybody wants to shake their fist at God. It was either you're the baby in the bathwater, and you are going to be thrown out with the whole dirty world because you're evil. And I say that out of love, man. It's not, you know, you're saying that I'm evil. Yeah, let's all wax seeker sensitive and tell you how good you are and how your poo doesn't stink and how you're just the best. And, oh, God needs somebody like you in heaven. No, you're the baby in the bathwater. And if you weren't still in a world full of fallenness and evil, there would be no place for you. So the problem is the breadcrumbs of the things that you enjoy in life. Your, your wedding day, maybe that was joyful. Maybe it was the worst day of your life. I don't know. I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> After this week, oy vey. Um, but it's a beautiful thing when you can look and see that the Sabbath day that was made holy was God making himself stooping down. Imagine if you're having a conversation with a four-year-old. Hey, Bobby, what you got there? Aeroplane, you know, whatever he's doing. You could blow him away by going, well, the coefficient of drag, they're upon the wing. And the yeah. kid doesn't know what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Or you could stoop down and you still are going to enjoy the fellowship with that child like a dear child. Here it is. Sabbath, two verses. Go for it. There's one that is in the Psalms. And I think I've got it here. But if I don't, it's the one that says... Why are you mindful of me? What oh. is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? 
It was fellowship, brother. It was yep. this time where he said, I'm going to make myself available to them. Because it, otherwise, how do you, Glenn, the scripture says, if a man goes with a harlot, it's like he's embracing. Can a man embrace coals of fire without being burned? So if I'm of the frame that is so delicate, delicate that if I go and hug on a common whore and defile myself, right? The Bible says that I'll be burned. It'll maim me. It'll mess me up spiritually with darkness. Well, how in the world is the same dude going to go and just walk up to God, who is a consuming fire, and be like, yeah, it's all good, bro. Hey, did you see how many old ladies I walked across the street, you know, <laughs> see how many dogs I donated to have them spayed and neutered, right? See how much I donated to the AIDS Foundation or whatever good cause to save starving children. Just see all that, God. Okay, bring it in. Bring it in. Big hug. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hug a consuming fire. You are not capable in your current architecture to hug a consuming fire. So you, <laughs> newsflash, everybody. Newsflash. <laughs> you're not. And, and see, I'm a, I'm a broad golfer. Broad golfer, when you look at the gulf in between you and God, it's huge. It is so broad. And all the religious people, they always, you know what cults do? Religious sects and just lame churches. I, I think I know because you know, we were in one. You know what they always do. Sin is not that bad. Yeah. God is not that good, right? Right. And the gulf is not that wide. Every one of them. It's like, oh, please, get a new song. Haven't I heard this before? The Mormons come to come talking, and they're like, well, Jesus, he was actually born with us on these planets, and then he's actually brothers with Satan. And, oh, and the, the Jehovah's Witness, oh, the, he's Michael the Archangel. He was a created thing. Yeah. You, you can work your way to heaven. It's always that. It was that in the Old Testament. It was that about the Sabbath. It was that with the apostate priesthood. Here's probably the crux of the issue, Dan. And it comes into what salvation really is. In our carnal minds and out of our soul, we think it's something all we can comprehend in the flesh is work and our own righteousness. Unless you have that illumination of the Holy Ghost showing you that you are a sinner, damned for hell, and that he's there to save you, and you see that power through the cross of salvation, you can't comprehend it. It is a supernatural revelation. And it is so messed up what the gospel is presented as. It is really a precious pearl of great price that's hidden in a whole bunch of slop. Yeah. It's 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 hidden. But the truth of the matter is, is that the gospel has nothing to do with you wanting to be saved. You can be, want to be saved all day long, but unless God extends his hand to you and you experience the supernatural rebirth or regeneration. Yes. All right. Unless you experience that, there is no hope and there is no salvation. You can work all you want and knock yourself out. And it's going to, you're still, the Bible says you're still going to be a debtor. If you work like that. So Jesus is the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath rest. He said, come unto me, all ye who are weary. And that means those that have worked to, to the point where they just can't work anymore. They're just exhausted and heavy laden, just, just loaded down with all of these burdens that are put upon them by everybody else. Yeah. 
it really comes down to what the gospel is about. And there's such a misconception of what the gospel is today. Yes, it truly is good news. I heard it preached this morning um, on the Legionnaire mm-hmm. uh, Ministries. I want to talk about that, too. If you want a resource to be able to get really grounded in precious good doctrine, we'll, we'll leave those details. He said the stony ground of a sinner's heart needs more than moral improvement. So if you take a sinful man, we're all sinful, Mm -hmm. and you improve my morality, you have nothing. You're no closer to heaven being a moral man or woman, maybe a better neighbor, but you're no closer to heaven. I can't remember the way he said it. He said it better than that. But it was the stony hard ground of a sinner's heart needs more than behavioral modification. Yeah. And it's like it's what we were talking about, the heart versus the the outward act. When Moses came and it was like, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then when Christ came and Christ said, um, you know, if you say unto your brother, you fool, raka, right? You, you son of a, you know, you just dig in with that anger. That is the flame of murder. You're a murderer on the inside. If you go and you say, I can't stand that guy, and then you take your your crossbow or your bow and arrow and you're waiting at night, you're like, I'm going to run this guy through, and you hate him. And then you start to let go of the arrow. A dog barks. You get distracted. And then the arrow veers off silently in the dark and goes into the ground. And the guy you were trying to kill just keeps walking. Was that murder? According to Moses, you would not have been punished for murder. According to Christ, you're a murderer because it wasn't the thing that you did. Okay, it was the thing that you did. You're accountable for that. But more, it's where that thing came from. From the heart cometh adulteries and murders and blasphemies and heresy. All that stuff comes out of wayward hearts. Our spirit is dead and evil. That's a wide gulf. So many religions, every religion in the world is telling you that there's only two. There's I can work it. I can reach deep within. I can meditate and ascend. Sounds a little Luciferian. I can go up. I can get better. I can do these things. I can work. I can I can do it myself. I can count a bunch of beads. I can listen to the guy with the funny hat. I can do all these different things that something will absolve me of sin. And then there's that pearl of great price. That's worth casting your whole soul upon. Sometimes, you know what makes me want to worship, Glenn? I sit there sometimes when I'm praying, and you'll feel a little bit accused of soul, a little bit down, a little bit dirty from just life, you know, life in this body, life in this world, and you feel a little bit discouraged or whatever, and then you're going in prayer, and you feel almost like something's asking you, Why are, well, who do you think you are that you can approach the maker of all creation with this boldness? Why would he be mindful of you, dirtbag, right? I get that right. sometimes. Right. And it's almost sometimes now I long for somebody to dare ask me that question just so I can point to the Messiah. I can point to the scars on his hands and his feet and on his side. I can point to the burden that he carried, that he bore the whole entire wrath of God on himself. He was stricken. He was cut off from the land of the living is what it says in Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And our sins and our trespasses were poured upon him. So grace is not a shot of caffeine so I can live a little bit better. Grace is not me 
paying or asking the Holy Church to give me some sort of absolving with a, a voodoo or, you know, somebody moving their hand or saying a bunch of rituals. Grace is Christ himself. It's his kindness to go, I will redeem you. Hey, dead man, you're a dead man. Yeah. And God gives us new life. And once he redeems you and his blood has been applied to your life, um, Chaplain Joe said this so wonderfully. I, I went to uh, the chapel to listen to Chaplain Joe preach a couple weeks ago who he had on the podcast. He's a cool dude. He's a cool dude. He said that when God looks at you after you're redeemed, he doesn't see you as your human flesh. He sees you as Christ because you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ at redemption when your spirit has been regenerated. And that's the whole thing is that it's about spiritual regeneration. It ain't about works. It's about spiritual regeneration. And you probably remember this, uh, what you were just talking about a few minutes ago about morality. It was taking me back to our early 20s, Dan, or, or late 20s uh, in the 90s. I wrote a track that a lot of people got kind of upset about, but it, it's it's true. And it's one of those things I did in the cult that, you know, I, I, you know it's there was some truth that came out of there. There was some good doctrine what we did. in the there cult. Was some good, there was some good doctrine. And I wrote a track that I handed out to people that co- it was called Morality Can Damn You. I remember it Remember well. that one? I think, we need to re- I think we need to resurrect that one. And basically the premise of it was it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how cleaned up you are on the outside, how many times you go to church. All that does not matter. But what matters is that you're born again and if you know if you're a good person and you're living a good life and you're trying that ain't good enough it's no you're in ground zero for wrath yeah and that's what people think that's mean oh they're kind of hellfire and death yeah exactly the whole reason that there is christ and christ crucified what is the the backdrop of all of that is called god's holy wrath or there would never have to be a cross there yeah. would never had to be a sacrifice or a, a Messiah that was prophesied to come and bear your sin. God with us, Emmanuel, the sin bearer, right? So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. The grace of God is for weaklings, for failures, for addicts, for people that can't get their act together. It is that good. It is good news. It's not in the sense of cheapness. Or I'm going to waltz in here like if you were running a soup kitchen for the poor. And then you have just lazy people that show up mooching off your soup every day because they don't want to work, right? That's not compassion. That's not compassion. If you think you're going to pull one over on God and you don't really mean business with God, but it's not about how good you can clean up your life. In fact, more often than not, when I struggle with an attitude or a sinful disposition in my life, and believe me, I have quite a few, not as much as Glenn, but I'm pretty bad. <laughs> And I got you. I got to get you. And you got and, me. Um, so <laughs> we do have fun. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. <laughs> hey. Yeah, I'm going to lose this chair if I keep up. I want that chair I got chair the bag. comfy chair. He does your, have your the comfy chair, chair. That looks like really like elementary school. That looks horrible, dude. It keeps me awake. Okay. No, yeah, while I'm talking. Thanks. No, 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 no. No, but whenever I'm dealing with some something in my life that I'm like, that's just wrong, right? And I need to work on this. I need to do this. And you struggle. You summon your faculties, right? And you try. You grit your teeth. You try to be a better Christian. You go to 20 different churches, and they're all telling you, well, you could do this better. And don't we all need to do better? And let's all close our eyes and meditate on the fact of how bad we've done this week. And we can try. And we can. It's all about striving. It's all about doing this. And I'm like, that didn't really work. But you know, when I go in and I gaze on the loveliness of the Messiah as revealed in his word, I spend time with him in a fragrant, thankful heart of going, God, 
there's nothing that I do that would ever be worthy to come into your presence. And you have given me by faith immortality. You're going to give me a new body and a new mind. I'm going to live forever. Your precious blood marks me. I get really excited. And in the grace of that, some strange thing starts happening. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And I come out and suddenly... I'm ready to be gracious with my fellow man because he filled my mouth with good things. He satisfied me with something. I got a taste of transcendent eternity. I was sobered by touching the divine. He put his hands on me and all I did was gaze. All I did was look upon the serpent, upon the pole, in my belief, in my hope. And I looked and then all of a sudden I come out fortified with strength to be able to, all of a sudden, I can go across Yoga Prance uh, Bridge. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait, where I is can... that bridge? <laughs> you, you keep talking about this. What's the address? I'll send you a pin. <laughs> Let me send you a pin. Or just a parade of beautiful yeah. women. And I'm, you know my thing is instead of like being in denial, and you can't close your eyes very safely while driving. No, you can't. So that's my excuse. <laughs> and I'm going, and it's like just one after another. I'm like, where are people getting these beautiful women? And I'll say to myself, I even say out loud sometimes while I'm driving, I'm like, she is gorgeous, but she's not mine. mine. And then I keep on driving. <laughs> I'd like to fire up the wrecking ball real quick. Okay. Okay. Because you just said something that a lot of people don't comprehend, and it's hard to comprehend out of the flesh. It's hard to comprehend out of our mind. So what you just said about being made righteous in Christ by gazing upon the serpent on, on the pole. Yes. Okay. Twofold two clarification. Yep. One being that original being born again, secondarily through a sanctifying, being sanctified, meaning that your your life gets better and you have grace to be a better Christian, not out of that much self-effort, but as far as God anointing you to do it. Sorry. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will say, and there's this argument over, well, you know, just believing doesn't mean that you can go out and do whatever you want. Licentiousness. Antinomianism. Okay, antinomianism. So there's a lot of confusion, and it boils down to the confusion about what the gospel is again. All right? Here's the wrecking ball, people. If somebody gazes upon Christ on the cross, if they're truly supernatural, and I'm going to use that word, okay, because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a supernatural experience where God draws you convicts you of your sin you got to go to sinai first okay you got to be there and that's christ and that's christ okay (laughs) if it's just like well you know i knew that god's loved me all this time you you haven't been to sinai all right and yeah you're probably going to go out and just do whatever whatever you want to do um basically it's that supernatural drawing that supernatural conviction that oh i am not worthy to be in his presence i'm going to go to hell when i die all right, that that's the that's the crux right there. Unless that's happened, you're not going to be regenerated. Your spirit is not going to be made new on the inside because if that really happens, if you believe when God's drawing you, if you grasp onto that belief, you will be made new and you're not going to want to go out and be licentious. Yes. So the people that are like, "Yeah, I went to church and I believed and they're going out and living like devils." Guess what? They they didn't get there, all right? They are not in Eden. Their spirit has not been regenerated. That That's the problem that a lot of people see. Well, if I just believe. So what they do is they're like, well, it doesn't work, so we're just going to add some more works on it after we, after we go to the cross. No, 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 okay? 
you have to be regenerated. I I can't stress that enough. And weirdly and awkwardly, as it would seem, there are people out there that would look like much greater sinners than you could possibly imagine that are really regenerated and on their way to hell. And they never said within themselves, you know what, I'm going to scam the system. I'm going to have a license just to go and live really bad and live, do whatever. But it's not at the end of the day, their clean living that saves them or their lack no. of clean living that damns them. No. It is a miracle that happens with a very weak, dead and trespasses and sins individual. And there, look at the, the history, go through the Hall of Faith. Find somebody that wasn't really messed up. And that's the thing about regeneration is that regeneration starts on the inside and then works itself to the outside. And it takes time for it to work itself to the outside. And even you and I, Dan, we've been saved for for a good while. God's still working on us. It's still take, you know, there are areas in our lives that are still not there, but God does it one step at a time, taking you from glory to glory to glory. He does, and he's patient yes. and he's kind and he's gracious, and he's faithful. Yes. And most of the times where I think that I've really neglected the table of the Lord, it's when my faith, my belief, my trust in him was jaded by yeah. false doctrine. Yeah. There's some things I want to, you're itching. Go. I'm itching because I want to go back to something you said a little while ago about when Jesus came on, when he was here on earth, there was the apostate system of laws, rules, and regulations. There was also another system that was greatly at work. And this is what happens when there's apostasy. You get the strong legalistic side, all right, which we saw with the scribes and the Pharisees. But then you have the other ones who are a little bit more spiritually sensitive. Um, You also had rampant paganism at the time as well. As a matter of fact, uh, where Jesus took Peter and Peter had the revelation that he was the Christ and Jesus like, okay, upon this rock, I will build my church. He took him into one of the most pagan areas for him to have that revelation. So the people on the pagan side, they were like, oh, we're going to go more on the spiritual side minus the cross. And you take a look at that. And it's really interesting because the ones, if you take a look at the early church itself, it was mostly consisted of converted pagans. Hmm. Uh, it, it's really interesting because that's why Paul is talking about certain things about, you know, the, the, the um, spirit of the prophets being subject to the prophets. All right. He was trying to clean them up from the false stuff that they were involved in. Gotcha. I can only imagine. I kind of laughed when I read that the other day. He's like, hey, uh, no, no, you, you know, the spirit of Christ does not, the spirit, the Holy Spirit will not call Christ a curse. I can only imagine, you know, what was going on with all this stuff that they were working themselves out of. Right. Okay. So the ones that are the most likely candidates for salvation are not the ones that we're finding that are upholding all the laws and trying to count all the you know all the good that they did it's the ones that are the church really doesn't want to reach that where the power is going to come from right okay so you had both both ends of the spectrum going on at that time uh when when jesus came to earth and it's interesting because it was mostly the pagans that were the ones like hey that's that's the messiah Ah, oh, interesting. Interesting, well, isn't it? Well, hey, a lot of times people that are worshiping a golden calf or they're, worship, they're into paganism or multiple gods, they were at least looking for an explanation for how all this got here. Okay, that yep. cow hatched it, right? Yeah. <laughs> or whatever they're thinking, but at least they weren't, oh, it came from nothing, hand me another beer, right? It, it wasn't right. just like that. One thing that I do want to point out too, the beauty of the Sabbath, God's sentience, this invitation of fellowship. Welcome into my circle. You can never be me. You can never be a little God. Okay. Which brings us to 
flirting with the little numbers things, but yes. also at the same thing, I want you to understand something. When we're made in the image of God and he invites us into the Sabbath rest, so if you get born again, you're able to fellowship with God. You can have a taste of that Sabbath rest. It'll be through a glass darkly or, you know, it'll be limited right now. Your body can't fully handle it. You get a new body before you get all of that, right? But you can walk in that rest, in that peace. It says joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. It talks about be still, rest. Rest. And what? And know, know that, that I, I am, am God. God. That's the Sabbath rest. And there, it's a beautiful thing. There is horrible heresy in the charismaniac word of faith movement. Glory! Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. And it's very sinister because what it begins to do subtly and sometimes not so subtly, they talk and misinterpret scripture to believe that we are being deified in the sense that we are gradually becoming these little gods in the earth. And we, apart from God, normally we pray, dear Lord, dear sovereign God, could you please um, heal Glenn's foot fungus, right? Frisbee finger. I got a bad case of the frisbee yeah, finger. Glenn's today. got that case of the frisbee finger. And then you'll hear people though, I speak that frisbee finger out of here, right? And you came up with something that I really, really appreciated this past week called white witchcraft. Yes. Okay. I didn't come up with it. Okay. okay. I did not come up with it. Uh, this was another well, you could have stole the glory. I could have stole the glory. This is what another one of those things on the on the drive to work. Just like the word that the Lord gave me about Artemis, but he gave me the word white witchcraft. And I want to talk about some numbers for a minute. Sure. If we can do that and and witchcraft and everything like that. What I've come to learn and see and discern is that a lot of people that are involved in white witchcraft are really desiring Eden. But they're trying to get there minus the cross. They're trying to do it in their own efforts. They're trying to do it by driving out evil forces by themselves, but through spells, incantations, songs, things like that. But really, they desire Eden. And you know what? Wow. Uh, that's probably, a, that could be a good place to be in, really. Can you, you, know? can you elaborate on that? So a person sitting there, and if I'm desiring peace, power, authority, relationship, purpose, communion, is that the type of Eden? Somebody's yes. sitting there, they're dealing with loneliness, dealing with yes. uh, depression, feeling powerless, they see, fearing lack of provision. They see the world as... Scary? Scary. Hmm. Wicked. Depraved. Cold and prickly. Cold and prickly. Exactly. They see the thorns. Okay. They see the flowers fade. They see all that stuff. I didn't want to skew. I just want to no, add color. No, and you're, get it. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. They desire pure things. They desire righteousness. That's why it's called white witchcraft. So let's talk about some numbers for a minute. And this is going to tie into the white witchcraft. There is biblical numerology. All right. Now, there's a difference between biblical numerology and the numerology used by soothsayers, fortune tellers, and everything like that. Here's, here's the difference. The numerology used by the soothsayers, the, um, uh, the fortune tellers, that is to predict your future. It's all about you. Okay. It's got nothing to do with God whatsoever. And what happens when you get into that type of numerology, the demonic spirits will arrange those circumstances to happen for you if you buy into it so that you stay deceived and you stay bound. Biblical numerology always points to the cross hmm. and the return to Eden yeah. through Christ. 
So you take a look at numbers, and every Hebrew letter in the Hebrew alphabet is also ascribed a certain number. And the numbers in, in Hebrew all have certain meanings. So really, when you think about it, God, he, he does, though he is not an algorithm himself, he works with algorithms. He speaks to us through language. He speaks to us through music, and he also speaks to us through math for all the math nerds that are out there. So if we break the scripture down, you know, when we break the math down, when we break all the math in scripture, guess who we see? We see Jesus. So let's take a look at the number line. And there are certain numbers that are involved with the Sabbath rest. So the Sabbath rest is represented in the seventh day. Number seven is the rest. And you take a look uh, in the scripture, it says on the seventh day he rested. It makes multiple references to that. But before you get to seven, you've got this nasty number before it, the number six, which represents man. Uh, the animal man was created yes, on the sixth day. On the sixth day, okay. Uh, it also represents the animal nature of man. So here you've got six and seven right next to each other. So you've got man and then you've got rest. Well, what are the numbers on either side of that? Well, on number five, which comes before six, five is representative of God's grace. Oh, okay. Okay. And then on the opposite side of seven, you have eight. Eight represents regeneration and new life. The blessed hope. The blessed hope. So if you take a look at the progression of the numbers, okay, And no, I am not telling anybody's future. I am pointing to the cross when I say this. Grace. And and notice what Glenn and I are doing here. There's some things that are just orthodox, beautiful doctrine. And we see what God's doing. God is restoring fellowship. And then we get wild when we start looking at the beauty of where scripture just, hey, that's making the sign of the cross. Look at the tabernacle. That's a cross. Look at these numbers. That's pointing to Jesus. Jesus. That's pointing to this. It's all about Jesus. This is not, there's a difference when somebody out of the lust of their flesh, they do bad hermeneutics and they end up in Albuquerque, right? And because the lust of their flesh, we're talking about embracing Christ in the fullness exactly. of redemption. So all of this points to exactly. that. Go ahead, bro. So if you just look at the natural progression, a graceful flow of numbers, God's grace moves, God's grace, number five, moves man, number six to number seven, the Sabbath rest, where there's number eight, regeneration. That's really cool. Okay. But where it gets scary is when you take number five and number eight out. And you just add six and seven together. And when you add six and seven, this is simple math, Dan. What do you get? What number do you get? 13. 13. 13 in Hebrew represents rebellion. And rebellion is the, as is the sin of what? Witchcraft. witchcraft. Okay. Wow. So not all witchcraft is people gathering together in black masses. Witchcraft, number 13, is what you find in the majority of churches across the world today. And in white witchcraft, trying to put their own works, mix their own works to attain a Sabbath rest. It is rebellion. So we're going to get back to Eden or the Sabbath rest without the Messiah. That's That's what witchcraft witchcraft is. is. And communism of we're going to create a worldly utopia. We're going to workers of the world unite. We're going to take these... uh, swords or take these plows, you know, do whatever they're going to do. And we're going to rise up and it's going to be utopian. There's going to be sharing. There's going to be this. It never works. Uh, no. And they, what did they do? They pushed out the gospel. 
And there's been no bigger bloodbath on the planet than communism. It's been horrible. You think of all those different things of witchcraft. Think of even seeker sensitivity. They ignore the drawing of the spirit. They ignore the fact that uh, Christ was uncomely. There was nothing about Christ that would have gone, oh, man, that looks like a cool guy. The ladies are like, what does the handsome guy have to say? He was uncomely. Does that mean that, you know, hey, that you and I ought to be the best preachers in the world because we're uncomely? Yeah. <laughs> we have a we face be, for radio. We're, we're rising to the top, bro. Yeah, That's yeah, what I see. Like, it's in our future. But, but there is this bypassing of the spirit to try to affect the souls of men. And let's bring them all in. And the bringing in is really temporal. The number six, when I think about the number of the beast and Six, six, and six, and there's this interesting aspect that you're going to have men that are cut off from sentient fellowship with the divine, with God, with his person, right? They're cut off from the Sabbath rest, but they, in their mind and their spirit and their body, okay, they are sitting here living in the temporal world, and that's it. For them, they are fellowshipping with devils. They're fellowshipping with fallen creation. It's all they see. It's all they consume. There is no transis- transcendent reference point of dealing with God through the murky mists of our fallenness, through the glass darkly reflected. Oh, we can kind of make it out. We can see through the breadcrumbs and know that by faith, this glory of holiness, of fellowship, of of fellowship, of of of, of just the beauty of heaven is there, and that is our hope, and we're sojourning, passing through this life to that blessed hope. Them, their contentment, their life, their goals, their view, their lack of faith, their lack, they do not acknowledge the seventh day of rest. They do not acknowledge the God of that rest. They are consumed with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And in that, that sensuousness, in that devilishness, right? In the sensuality of all that they can make out of this life, they try to embrace fulfillment, self-actualization, all all of these things that look on the outside like they're good and they're really demonic. And you see that displayed. I think you see a um, kind of an antichrist portrayal. It's almost like if you take love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control, you take the fruits of the Spirit and put that on the outside and then have somebody that's literally a ravening wolf. I think that is the spirit of antichrist. That is when you see that self-fulfillment, that no to God, throw the finger to God, but yet we are going to be in and of ourselves. And the devils are there because the devils have no hope. They want to use AI. They want to harness the souls of men, like it says in Watchmen Knee. And they are very jealous of us because we can be redeemed. Yes. They are jealous. They don't get the rest. No, they don't get the rest. No, no, they don't. I mean, they are are, uh, departed souls that are or spirit, departed spirits that are wandering around in dry deserts with no rest, with no relief. They're very jealous. And it comes down to the old crab basket, you know, analogy. You ever see a bunch of crabs in a basket when one's try, almost almost out of the basket? What happens? What do the other crabs do? Grab them. Grab them and bring them back down. And that's what those demons, what, that's what those spirits are, are doing to you. And they are playing upon men's desire for Eden. And presenting all of these other alternatives to get there 
besides the cross. And unfortunately, the church is mostly at fault for this, is presenting it as the do good, do right, instead of a, I'm going to repeat it again, and I can't stop repeating it, spiritual regeneration. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with you responding to God and allowing God to do the work in you. Talking about regeneration. <laughs> well, that's a beautiful thing. And I don't want to seem clickbaity because we do want to talk about Nevermore and Sentient Number 6, which is brilliant as far as the writing of that. I love Nevermore. Mm-hmm. And I feel saddened that their um, lead singer passed yeah. uh, you know, a few He's years a very ago. very gifted man. Yeah, very gifted man. And as far as I knew, he was very, very, uh, had a lot of pent-up anger against the church and against the things of God, and I hate that because most of that usually comes from false preaching, false doctrine, bad living, bad everything. We're not portraying Christ, and people don't hear the things that we, me and Glenn are talking about today. There's no life in it. It's just well, you got a you over there with the long hair and your beer drinking yeah, or yeah, your yeah. drug cut, taking, cut, cut your hair, and, and, and then and, you'll be more acceptable to God. Yeah, Nothing can be further no. from the truth. Well, one of the themes, if you go back through their whole catalog, one of the the frequent themes is the seed awakening. And it'll always talk about this theme about seed awakening and seed awakening. And in, I believe it's first uh, Corinthians chapter 15, where he's talking about, there's all these different glories. There's different heavenly bodies. There's yes. different levels of the moon. And then there's the sun, there's these stars and there's different types of beings. And you take the seed and he was referring to our mortal body in resurrection, being like a seed in some dormancy and then being quickened to new life into a glorified form. And it was very beautiful. Yeah. And I thought of Nevermore, and I thought of a lot of the different songs. Yeah. What I think we should do, Dan, is let people munch on this a little bit sure. this week. And we'll take a break, and we will come back, and we're going to break down Nevermore Senient number six. Amen. Amen. Lord, in Jesus' name, uh, thank you for all the people that are listening. We just ask that you would bless the things that we've been going over. These were upon our heart, we believe, from you. And there's so many people that don't get the real bread. They don't get the real meat. They don't get fed at local churches. And we pray for those. And just, uh, we hope this is a blessing. Lithoscry.com. Get Real will be soon back. <laughs>